Hello and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today I'm at the Miami Book Fair where my guest is National Book Award winner James McBride. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Your latest work is the short story collection Five Carat Soul, which includes stories with settings as diverse as a Civil War battlefield, a low-income black community in Pennsylvania during the Vietnam War, and even the gates of hell. After writing a best-selling memoir, The Color of Water, three historical novels, and a biography of James Brown, why did you decide to take on the short form? Um, well, I, some of these stories I'd written years ago when I was learning to write novels, and others were just stories that just didn't have, in my opinion, the the power to sustain a 300 or 350 word narrative. So I, um, um, and I have eccentric tastes, and I thought, I just, you know, I just mentioned to the publisher that I had a bunch of short stories, and they read some of them, and they liked them, so I added a few, and, and presto. Several of the stories in the collection revolve around war. The Civil War is mentioned more than once. A World War II battle is featured prominently in one story, and the cloud of the Vietnam War hangs over another one. What is it that draws you to war in your writing? Well, I mean, we're a country that's been at perpetual war for the last 15 years. We grew up in the spectrum of war. You know, we're talking, in with you and I are speaking in, within, in the shadow of, of Thanksgiving, which is, you know, if you're a Native American or indigenous person, this is, a, this is a nation of warring people who, you know. So, but it wasn't intentional. It was just uh, that war is a backdrop for an enormous amount of American life, unfortunately. Um, I mean, you, you asking that question gives me pause in terms of me thinking about what is, what's on my mind and what's on my subconscious. Well, in addition to war, we see several of your characters fighting or getting involved in physical altercations. Young boys go up against each other over territory or perceived slights. There's a grown man who fights a boy, a father who physically abuses his sons. Uh, we see a prize fighter, you know, really amped up about, you know, his last fight. And there's a character who was shot and killed in the commission of a robbery. Through these actions, are you making any statements about what it means to be a man? I mean, is, is fighting a part of that? Is it something, you know, all boys have to go through or just, you know, wondering what your thoughts are for there? Because I noticed it just seemed to show up a lot in the stories. That's a very good question. I've never been asked that before, and I, my work has never been seen in that way, which, you know, again, speaks to what maybe my subconscious is thinking about. But um, I, I suppose that um, I never thought about that. I mean... Uh, I mean, lots of bad things happen in, in lots of books. My book, my books are, I mean, Five Carat Soul is a very gentle book, despite all that business. I mean, I'm not like one of these writers who shakes your hands and says, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. And then you open your, their book and there's like a lot of freaky crap going on. 
you know, people sleeping with their sister and, you know, shoving knives down their throat and, you know, plunging knives into their chest and all that kind of garbage. Um, my books are, are a reflection of my life and, and by extension, American life. Um, so, um, I mean, I suppose, and there, there's stories that I know of and I know about. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, plus I don't want to read some boring novel about someone eating dinner, describing a house in eight pages and talking about a leaf and, you know, the bullshit like, you know, the, the cake icing's wrong. I mean, I'm not going to read some boring stuff like that. I want to read a book where the people are grappling with moral difficulties that inspire them to move in ways that are unexpected. And most of them are not violent. But the fact it is, the fact of the matter is, we do live in a very violent society. Uh, and the characters that I write about, uh, w which are based on real characters, most of them, uh, are like me. They grew up in a society where violence is part of life. Um, does that excuse you, absolve you from writing nonsense about people shooting each other for nothing? No. But none of the violence in my work, in this book or any of my work, is violence that is unwarranted in the sense that it's it's provoked by something else, and and the characters are reacting in ways that that show that they don't know how else to react. I mean, if you're talking about a lion, in the case of the last story, you know, the lion a lion eats meat. I mean, he's not going to be he's not going to go to Starbucks and get a, a vegetarian, you know, fluffy, you know. <laughs> croissant, you know. He's going to eat an antelope because that's what he does. And, um, you know, in, in the case of the Pennsylvania kids, you know, they live in a place where they're, where violence is part of life. Um, what are they going to do, write a letter to the New York Times? I mean, you know, stuff happens. A kid pulls out a gun in a grocery store and the, the merchant shoots the kid. Well, um you know, this is not an E.E. E. Cummings poem, you know, this is, these are real things that happen to real people. These stories definitely aren't boring. Uh, several of them have endings that, you know, as a reader, I just didn't see coming. Like, I thought a story was going one way, and then in the end, it goes a very different way. When you start to write these stories, do you already have the ending in mind? I mean, I've heard some writers say they even write, you know, the last page first or something like that. I mean, or do you, when you start writing, do you just sort of go wherever the characters lead you? Yeah, I go wherever the, char wherever the characters lead me. I hope to go. I have a target, but oftentimes it just it doesn't work out that way. Because the, the story, the characters start to move in unexpected ways, and you realize that, <clears throat> you know, once you surrender yourself to the story and to the character, that you have to follow follow the, the character. Now, you cannot do that, but then what you end up with really is like pulp fiction, where, where book writes, you know, where the writer says, and then this happened, and then that happened. And then you flip the pages, and then you, the reader, close the book because it's not believable. So... In my case, I have a often, maybe half the time I have a target that I'm heading for, 
um, but it's a general kind of feeling. And then I just hope to get there. Four stories in this collection are about the Five Carats Soul Bottom Bone Band and this group of teenagers who, you know, I sort of see them as a garage band without a garage. You know, they practice above a store and you just don't get the sense that they are very good musicians, but they they love to play. Now, these stories aren't really about music, but they have a certain rhythm to them. And for me, they're some of my favorites in reading the collection. Do you feel that being a musician shapes the way that you write? I mean, do you see parallels between the two art forms, you know, writing and playing music? Not really. I mean, yes, in the sense that, you know, when you're a musician, you know, there are certain things you can can and cannot do. Within You're working within the confines of, you know, 12-tone music, you know, Western music that has a certain vocabulary and certain theoretical elements that just simply exist. So, um, so a wrong note in the key of B-flat is an F-sharp, but not all the time. And when you get really good, then you know what that not all the time is. But most of the time, you just better not mess with it. So uh, writing is the same in the sense that you have to have your structural thing together in terms of putting your characters on the page with enough authority to move them from one room to the next, and that has to do with character development and story structure and so forth. And then they both involve improvisation. But they're very different, you know. Writers say to me, you know, why do you write, you know, if I could write, if I could play music, I wouldn't write. And musicians say to me, oh, you know, if I, if I could write, I wouldn't play music. But I, I happen to do both. And they're both very hard, but they're both very satisfying. I find, though, that in writing, to write about music well, means that you have to write a lot of fluff and puff and I'm just not really one of those type of writers. You know, people who write about music well oftentimes they're not really writing about music, they're just writing about the music that the, the feeling that music inspires. So they could be writing about Elvis Presley or they could be writing about, you know, Bach or or Beethoven or or Haydn or Coltrane or Charlie Parker and they're just writing about a feeling cuz they they you know there are certain theoretical things these people hit. They do it. They do it properly and with great conviction and, and verve and style. And that's, and that's it. And it's in the music. You don't have to talk about it and so forth. So this band, the kids, is not a good band because it doesn't matter whether they're good or bad because you're not going to be able to communicate how good they are to the reader no matter how much you write. And, in, and really, music is just about telling a story. So in this case, I just used the music, the, the, the togetherness of this band to tell, to give you the real music, which is their lives. Before you became an author, you were a journalist. Do you find that any of the skills you use to cover the news come into play as you write novels or short stories? Oh, absolutely, yeah. My, my training as a journalist was 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 crucial to my development as as a fiction writer, and I would recommend it for any young writer. 
The problem is that if you stay with it too long, then you become too cynical to dream properly. And a novelist who can't dream is, ain't going to make it. <coughs> well, what are you working on now? I'm working on this cup of coffee at the moment. Um, <laughs> Writing rise, what are you working on now? I'm working on a novel that, uh, I'm, I'm always working on a couple novels, and when, when one is not going well, I go to the other. So I'm bouncing between two novels, and uh, but I'm not, I really haven't hit the you know hit hit any arteries yet. You know, uh, it takes a while for the characters to leap out the drawer and start moving around. You know, moving around the room. You know, it's like artificial. It's like breathing life into people, and they they simply just stay cardboard until they feel like getting up and moving around. So that's where I am now. In your stories, there are just so many tiny details that really make them come to life and details about very um, diverse subjects you know about this battle that occurred in World War II about this uh, toy collector and then various toys and how much they're worth and all that I was wondering how much research do you do into these things or are these things that you just they come you know you just come up with them off the top of your head or did you actually like you know did you look into toys I just wonder how much you get involved with research in your writing well I I spend at least a day every week at the library and all I do is read I mean it's one of the wonderful parts of my job I, I just I go through the library and I read everything that seems interesting I'll look for a book and then I'll just kneel and look at something on the bottom shelf, or I'll get a ladder and look at something on the top shelf, because stories come from everywhere, and characters come from everywhere. So um, I find that reading really inspires, reading history really inspires and informs. And once I find the subject, then I, I, I do everything necessary to find out everything I need to know about subject matter. I only use about 10% of what I come up with, but I do whatever needs to be done. If I have to go out and interview people, if I have to fly somewhere, if I have to spend three weeks somewhere to get what I, I just do it. I, I just get across the, I, if I have to float across the pond on a lily pad, I'm not interested in, I don't talk, I just do the job and get what I need. Sometimes you have to go really far to get it. Sometimes you can Google it. But um, I've never found I mean, as, as much as Google is effective for superfluous and surface knowledge and sort of the, you know, the crib note version of knowledge, I've always found the library to be much, really, the library is the place. The library and live people. Okay, well, I'm going to just switch gears really quickly here. We're almost out of time. Just ask you a couple of questions about what you do like to read. Um if you were in a situation where you could only read three books you've read in the past, you know, for the rest of your life, which three books would you choose? <laughs> well, um, it'd probably be, geez, that's a tough question. I probably one would have to be the Bible only because the Bible really has 66 books in it so you have you have a lot to work with and I've never read the Bible through 
Um, there's a book by uh, called My Way of Life by Saint. It was written by Saint Saint Francis of Assisi, A S S S I, or Saint Thomas of Assisi. It's a little green book. It's just it's written by a, a Catholic monk who wrote his his uh, his vision of of Christianity. It's a little tiny, a really thick book called My Way of Life. Um, and the third would be a novel, you know, something like, I mean, I have to decide between, you know, Invisible Man, The Killer Mockingbird, and The Bluest Eye, and would probably, at this point in my life, it probably would be The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Only because she's just, you know, she's the John Coltrane of literature, really. No, I said the Sonny Rollins of literature. I mean, Sonny Rollins is really... John Coltrane was a great saxophone player. He was a great musician. But Sonny Rollins was a, was a pure improviser. Like, he never played the same thing twice, ever. The result was that, you know, brilliant genius and some work that you just didn't like, but always different. And Toni Morrison knows how to be... That's how good she is. She always knows how to be different. Well, we've talked about you know some books you really really like. Uh, on the flip side of that, is there a book that maybe is very popular or you know critically acclaimed, but you have maybe struggled to get through it, or you just don't see what the big deal is about it? Yeah, but a lot of books like that because but I can't I can't name them because I don't read them. I read the first page and I go why, you know why are people reading this? Um, I I can't think of one offhand because I don't read books that I don't like. Um, uh, I just picked up Octavia Butler's one of Octavia Butler's books because I, you know, I never read her work close, and I know she passed away, and I know she was ahead of her time. Um, and I just picked up a book called The Talented Ribkins by this new young writer named Lady Something, and it's really good. So I don't know. I don't really focus on you know, the negative part of this business and the writers who are published and who are famous who don't deserve it. I focus more on the ones who are behind me who deserve more attention. Like this young lady who wrote The Talented Ribkin. So she's a talented young writer. Um, uh, you know, I just focus on people like that. Books that don't, that don't work they have enough fans. They have enough people who like them to trumpet their, trumpet their authors. Why bother, you know, why bother with, you know, that kind of, that's just, I wouldn't bother with that kind of negativity. It's not, it doesn't count. And just one more question and I'll let you get out of here. Uh, do you really decide that quickly? Do you just read one page and if the first page does a movie you put it down well I'll thumb through it you know I mean I'll I'll thumb through the book um, and see if there's a passage or something that works but it doesn't take long to see whether a writer has it or not it really doesn't I mean if you're a writer you can tell if somebody can really write by you know by the second page it doesn't take a lot either they have it or they don't like this writer Yajasi who wrote um, I think it's called Homegoing 
I mean, that's just a writer who can write. I mean, you can see it from the very first page. I think it talks about a fire. It begins with a fire in a village in Africa. I have no interest in Africa or a village or a fire, but I'm, I'm, I'm on page 25 already. This writer can put it together. Now I'm interested. I'm there. And so, look, many years ago when I was a musician, I was playing at this place called Wally's in Boston. They gave you like three bars during the jam session. If you started playing good within the third or fourth bar, they let you stay and play some more. If you weren't any good, the guy would tug at your jacket and say, okay, that's cool, man, it's enough. Either you got it, either you you put it together, you don't. It doesn't take me long to see. Not at age 60, so. Well, James McBride, thank you so much. I really appreciate you stopping by to talk to us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to answer your very incisive and and deep questions. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com, to find out how you can win a free signed copy of Five Carat Soul. You can also follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton, reminding you to read more.